Mark chapter 4 is where we are once again today. You can open your scriptures there. One of the things that I greatly enjoy in life is being able to spend time with and, and play with my children. I like to toss them around, swing them around, do all kinds of fun stuff with them. And sometimes they like it, and other times not so much. Sometimes you can swing a little too high, a little too fast. That look of joy upon their face can turn to abject terror. Ellie is especially at that age right now where she, she likes to be picked up and she likes to play and things, but if I just get too high, too fast, it, it, I, I can't help but smile at her response sometimes. She will literally say, whoa, as she is just does not like going so fast. It's just she enjoys it, but only to a point. I can sometimes get a little carried away. And uh, yeah, the enjoyment ceases. But whenever, whenever that moment comes, I'm always reminding them, hey, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, I've got you, I'm not going to drop you, right? I'm, I'm not going to let you fall, you can trust me, I'm, I'm here, right? I've got you. you you're never out of, in a place of actual danger in this moment. You can trust me. I think sometimes we can all be like my children when we are thinking about how we are in the arms of God. Sometimes life has us spinning and being tossed around. It's easy to lose sight of God, sight of His power, sight of His strength, sight of His control, and we can become afraid. Then we get to the end of whatever it is that we're going through, and there Jesus is, and He was there right along with us the whole time saying, hey, no, you can trust me. I am right here. And oftentimes we learn this through cycles, right? We, we go through this and we say, okay, yeah, but I can trust the Lord and we, we can rest and we trust in Him. And then the next thing comes along and we get a, afraid and scared in that moment and we have to learn and we have to be taught over and over again. But there Jesus is each and every time ever so faithfully, trust me. Well, this is what we're going to see in our passage this morning as we look at Mark chapter 4. Just to remind us of some of the context of how we have arrived at this point in the early portions of the book, Jesus is establishing His authority as authority to teach, authority to drive out demons, authority to heal, authority to define the Sabbath. And after that, Jesus encounters different forms of opposition with uh, religious leaders and even with some individuals of His own family, which kind of rises to this crescendo moment of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit moment, but then Flowing out from that, Jesus teaches on the kingdom. And so that's what we have been examining the last several weeks, the nature of the kingdom. Despite the opposition, despite that there is many who reject, there are some that will believe. Though the kingdom starts small, it will grow large. And now we're entering into another stretch of Jesus doing several miracles that are bracketed by two boat scenes of Jesus teaching the disciples something within the boat on the Sea of Galilee, reminding them about some things they just don't quite seem to fully grasp just yet. So all that brings us to Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where we will see how discipleship is to be a life of faith. 
Discipleship is to be a life of faith. Well, who is it that we are to trust? We are to have faith in the one who leads us, the one who cares, the one who is able, the one who is God. So let's read our text this morning. Discipleship is to be a life of faith in the one who leads us. Pick it up with me in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, they took with him, they took, excuse me, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So if we remember when Jesus was beginning to teach these kingdom parables, he got into a boat and he was addressing the large crowds. Well, here he is. It's that same day. They're in the boat. They're on the sea and says, all right, let's now cross over. And so they do. They are there in the boats and off they go. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Crisis moments. Here comes the storm, and it is such a great magnitude that it's threatening to sink the boats in which they are sailing. It's, I find it a little bit uh, providential that we had this storm that was happening here this morning where there was just the wind that was blowing, just blowing sideways. And we were looking out the window and we were seeing how hard it was blowing, that torrential downpour. It paints a little bit of picture. Well, imagine that level of a storm, but we're not on dry land, we're in a boat. We're not talking like a big freighter either. We're just talking about a small fisherman's vessel on the Sea of Galilee. Look, the, uh, the NESB says a great gale of wind arose. Like this, was a, this wasn't just a small storm. This was a significant storm that, that occurred. But the interesting detail that I find in, this, in these verses is this. Jesus is the one who said, hey, let's go and sail across the sea. It wasn't the disciples who were like, hey, you know, I think it's time to get into the boat. And Jesus says, all right, sure, I'll allow that to happen. No, this was Jesus' idea. This was Jesus' plan. Did he know that there was going to be a windstorm? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely he did. He's already demonstrated himself to be God in human flesh. And at different points that we've already seen in this book, we see the narrator say, Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, referring to the Pharisees who were responding to Jesus outside of his earshot. He didn't hear them speaking, but he knew what was in their hearts. Jesus knows things. Like Jesus is aware of what's happening and what is going to take place. This storm doesn't take Jesus by surprise. But even though he knew the storm was coming, he chose to lead the disciples into the storm anyway. And he did so without warning. He didn't say to them, hey, you know, we're going to sail across the sea here and and I know things look okay now, but we're going to come into a storm and I just want to make you aware of that so you don't get nervous. Jesus doesn't do that. He simply leads them out into the sea. Can't help but wonder why. Why why would Jesus do something like that? 
Why would he put his disciples in a potentially life-threatening situation? It says the boat was already filling. And the description there is that the storm rose up so fast and so violently that the, the, the boat began to take on so much water so fast that they were in danger of capsizing or sinking down to the bottom of the sea. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he not say, you know what, let's just stay here tonight and let the storm blow over and then cross over in the morning? Or at least warn them. At least let, let, give them a clue about what's coming. Could it be that Jesus wanted to test their faith? Could it be that Jesus led them into this storm intentionally in order for them to learn what true faith looks like? Could it be that Jesus wanted to show the disciples just how powerful He is so as to strengthen their faith through the experience of the storm? And sometimes we all experience different trials in our life, and sometimes there are trials of our own making. We're just, we're just silly, we're just dumb, we make bad choices, and so we suffer the consequences of that. Then there are other times where there are circumstances that come into our life, and it's not because of choices that we made. It's just the results of living in this sin-cursed world, and things happen that are just completely beyond our control. And when this happens, sometimes we speak of God allowing these things into our lives. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that kind of language. I think the Lord does allow things in that way. But it does seem as though, especially as we consider this text, that there are also times when God intentionally leads us into some things, as Jesus does here, but He does it for our own benefits. Earlier we read from Psalm 44, there's the psalmist crying out to God in the midst of the trial, and the psalmist, the author there says, hey, I haven't broken your covenant here. My conscience is clear on this one. This isn't because of my own stupidity this, this time. But why I'm still enduring this. Why am I still going through this trial? Why God lead us into trials like this? Think of James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is a purpose behind everything that the Lord does. There is a purpose behind everything and He is accomplishing His purifying work within our lives through the experience of the storm. Well, back to our story, we have the disciples that are encountering a various trial with this storm, a storm into which Jesus knowingly led them, and it is a testing of their faith. How will they do? How will they respond? Let's return to the text where the storm, that pops up and the disciples are terrified. Verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples are faced with a test of their faith, and they respond in two 
ways. First, they are clearly afraid. They're scared. They are afraid. They see the waves. They know the condition of their boat. And they can tell that they are not far away from sinking. And there is nothing that they can do. Can't help but wonder if they felt like these sailors in the book of Jonah where there's that great storm popping up. They're like, what are we going to do? And they're throwing everything overboard. They're trying to row back to, to shore as fast as they can, but nothing that they do has any effect. And so their conclusion is they've got to draw lots to see whose fault this is and throwing Jonah overboard, right? Because it was just such a hopeless situation. There's nothing that they could do. They could not get out of that situation on their own. And so they're afraid. That's the first response. The second, they're they're a little bit accusatory of Jesus. Look at what they say here. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? They accuse Jesus of apathy, of not caring about the state in which they find themselves. And don't you see what's going on here? How can you sleep at a time like this? We're all about to drown. Don't you care about us? It's interesting that even implicit within the question there is is the presumption that Jesus could have done something about it, right? They they think that Jesus should care and should do something, and yet they're terrified of the situation, right? They've seen Jesus do some mighty miracles, so it seems that there's there's something within them that, that recognizes the ability of Jesus, and yet there's fear and this accusation that there is no care from the Savior here. I suspect that this is a feeling that we could all empathize with to a degree. We've all been in situations that have been fearful for us, different trials that we have experienced. I know I've had conversations with everyone within this room about the difficulties and the hardships that we've all experienced within our own lives. It's times like these that have led many to ask God the question the disciples here are asking, don't you care about my plight? Lord, what are you doing here? Don't you see what I'm dealing with? Don't you know what my trial is? Where are you? Praying with that psalmist in that psalm that we read today. Arise, Lord, awaken, act. Well, the truth is that God does care. Jesus does care. And the life of discipleship is a life that chooses to trust the care of God even when I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Even in the midst of life's storms, we look to our Lord and we trust that He does care and that He is accomplishing His purposes. There's an author named Jerry Bridges. He once wrote about three things about God that we must never forget. And I'm paraphrasing his statement here this morning. But he wrote, there's these three things that we must bear in mind whenever we encounter our various trials. The first is that God is perfect in his love. That he wants what's best for us. He cares about our situation and he wants what is best for us. He is perfect in his love. God is also infinite in His wisdom, and so not only does He care and want what's best for us, but because He is so wise and so knowledgeable, He knows what's best for us. God is also limitless in His power. 
And so He wants what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. And because of His power, He is able to bring it about. God does care, and He has His purposes even through our hardships. And so Peter calls us to remember this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. We may be feeling like we're going through a rough stretch at the moment, but humble yourself under the hand of God. He will exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. God cares. And He calls His disciples to live lives of faith in Him, the caring Lord, the one who cares. The disciples' response is not one of faith. It is not one of faith, but fear and accusation. But because Jesus does indeed care in this situation here, he acts. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. We see that not only does Jesus care, but He is able to do something about the situation. Faith in the one who is able. Jesus had the power all along to quiet the storm. He could have made it stop in His sleep if He wanted to. That's the power of Jesus. But in order to demonstrate His power once again, in order to seek to to deepen the faith of the disciples, He leads them into the storm and then quells the storm with His mighty power. Then He turns to the disciples and He speaks to them in verse 40. He says this, And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? I think, why am I so afraid, Jesus? Didn't you see the waves? Didn't you see what I'm going through here? It's about to kill me. There's so much water in the boat, we're barely afloat. Of course we're afraid. How is it that you have no faith? The way this is constructed in the The Greek makes it clear that the expectation from Jesus is that they should have had faith by now. They've seen so much of what Christ has done. And so I really like the ESV translation. Have you still no faith? Have you, you don't have faith yet? Like what's going on here, disciples? Haven't you seen all these things that I've done? Clearly, there's something in the experience of the disciples that Jesus seems to think ought to have produced a certain level of faith within them, and yet just hasn't quite seemed to sunk in just yet. It's like with all you've seen, with all you've been a part of, with all that you've witnessed with your very own eyes, he says, I, I've healed people from their diseases and their disabilities. I've, I've cast out demons. I've been teaching with authority. I even dare to forgive sins, making it clear that I am divine. And not only have you witnessed this, but I have empowered you and I have sent you out and you have personally done these same works yourselves. And yet, you still 
have no faith? Jesus expected the disciples to be able to look look from the past experience and allow that to inform their present scenarios. He expected the disciples to be able to look past their, their current circumstances and their current scenario unto the Savior. They should have had faith. They have witnessed the power of God on display. They watched God in human flesh at work. They have Emmanuel, God with us right there. Perhaps they should have called to mind Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus was right there with them, right? So when they saw the storm, they should have had faith. But listen, and this is, this is difficult, but listen, they should have had faith even if that meant drowning. They should have had faith even if that meant drowning. Because even in this situation, Jesus quieted the storm in this scenario but he nowhere promises to quell all of life's storms within this life. He doesn't promise that. Now, there's going to come a point. Someday all these trials will be a thing of the past. All those who are in Christ will be with him in glory. And, and all of the difficulties we have experienced, all that will be a thing of the past. Right? We read about this in Revelation. He would wipe every tear from their eye and every sorrow, every sickness, every, all death. All that will be a thing of the past. But in this life, that isn't promised in the here and now. So Jesus' expectation of the disciples is that they would have had faith in their Messiah who is the one who had led them out onto the sea even if that meant drowning. Jesus led them there. He must have had a reason. So even if that means I perish, I will trust Him. Reminds me of the comment that Job makes at one point as he is enduring the suffering, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. It's the kind of faith that we are called to have, and that's a hard faith to have. Even if you, have, even if you do not experience the end of the storm in this life, can you look whatever scenario, whatever situation, whatever circumstance you find yourself in and look to the Savior? Do you trust that your God is able to preserve you even if the storm never ends? The disciples, they had witnessed God's power on display though, through Jesus Christ, so it can be easy for us to sit here like, like armchair quarterbacks looking at them and saying, okay, <sighs> Oh, silly disciples, I can't believe it. They saw all these wonderful things that Jesus did and they still don't get it. How could you still not believe? And yet here we are and we can do the exact same thing. We can also lose sight of our Savior in the midst of our storms. And we might say, yeah, okay, but, but I haven't seen what the disciples saw. And I didn't see Jesus casting out demons. Well, I didn't get to see those miracles, so maybe I get a little bit of a pass here. 
Maybe we haven't seen some of those kinds of miracles that they saw. We didn't, we didn't have the, the privilege of seeing God in human flesh walking upon the face of the earth. And that's true. But we do have something the disciples didn't have. We have this. We have the full account of everything that Jesus had did and everything that Jesus was and is. The person of Jesus Christ, His nature, His attributes, His works, all of them are revealed through the pages of Scripture in such a way that it leaves us without any excuse to be fearful or accusatory as the disciples were at this moment. In many ways, and this is, this is a mind-blowing reality, but think about this for a moment. In many ways, we can know Jesus more fully today than the disciples knew Jesus in that moment. At that moment, the rest of Scripture hadn't been written yet. The rest of the story of Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection, they hadn't experienced any of that yet. That was still in the future. So we here today, with the totality of everything that God has revealed for us, can know Jesus more fully than the disciples knew Him at that particular moment in history. That's a mind-blowing reality, but it it is such a neat thing that we have in the pages of Scripture. And furthermore, there's, there's that. We have the testimony of God's Word and, and we see what God has revealed for us in the pages of Scripture. But, but more than that, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I know that you have seen God at work. Amen? Like, you've seen it. First of all, He saved you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? That's, that's a miracle. God has saved you. You have a new life because of what He did on the cross and what He did inside of you to save you. You have a new heart because of Him. So there's that. But then there's more, right? There's other things. Haven't you seen Him do other things? You've seen Him provide in unique ways. Or maybe you've learned valuable lessons from previous trials. If you've spent time in God's Word and you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, spent time with other believers who can also share testimonies of what God has done in their lives. And yet, we are still prone to doubt. We are still prone to lack faith. And I say all this and I I intentionally use the plural we there because I include myself with that. I'm not up here as someone who's got it all figured out and I have perfect faith and, you know, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else. With all that we've seen, with all that we've experienced, we should know better and the disciples should know better. But so often we don't and we have to be reminded, you can trust me. That's what Christ says. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Christ in this moment and throughout the rest of the Gospels, He's such a patient Lord. Amen. He, he is so patient with His disciples. Even here in this boat, He is so patient with them to teach them and to show them over and over again how they can trust in Him. And He is patient with us as well. 
As we come to the final verse in this chapter, this verse highlights the nature of who Jesus is, which is really the whole point of this whole section. Who is Jesus Christ? Yes, we have faith in the one who leads us, faith in the one who cares, faith in the one who is able, but all of that is true because of this fundamental reality that Jesus Christ is God. And that really is the most important point. Faith in the one who who is God. Look at how the disciples responded in verse 41. They were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here the disciples, they went from fear of the sea to being afraid of the power of Jesus Christ. And to a degree, who can blame them? I mean, that's... To speak a word, and not only does the storm stop, but the sea becomes perfectly calm. That's real power. That is is power. And they're just, they're in awe. Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. I actually really like how the King James translates this verse. It says, what manner of man is this? like, what kind of person are we dealing with here? Who, who is this? What kind of person are we dealing with? I wonder if Psalm 107 would have come to mind at this moment for the disciples. And I'm going to read an extended portion of this and then highlight one particular verse. This is Psalm 107, verses 23 through 32. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business in the, on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men when they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. These are the works of God. And now Jesus is doing the works of God. Who then is this? What manner of man is this? What kind of person are we dealing with here? Who then indeed? That is the right question. This is the Messiah. This is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. This is the one who made the world, who who hung the planets and the stars in their place, who who makes the seasons turn, who, who made the sea, the land, and everything in them. This is the one who lives a perfect life and who will one day die, but he won't stay dead, but rather will rise again. This is the one who defeats sin and death, the grave, and even hell itself. 
This is the one whom the Father has highly exalted and given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What manner of man are they dealing with here? That's who he is. And if that's who he is, then this is someone worth trusting. This is someone worth following after in lives of faith. Even in the midst of life storms, even if the storms never fade, even if we die in the storm, because of who Jesus Christ is, He is worthy of our trust. In many ways, this passage almost feels like a bit of a a crescendo moments from these early portions of the book. We have seen the power of God. We've seen it in, a matter, in, in powerful ways. And now here are the disciples just in complete, absolute awe of the power of God. But, but the reality is that Jesus is really just getting warmed up. <laughs> he is really just getting started. As Mark progresses, the magnitude of the miracles keep astounding those who witness them. And Jesus challenges all who see him, all who hear Have you still no faith? Do you have faith in Christ? Are you trusting in Him for your salvation? Are you aware of your own condition in which you are born, dead in your trespasses and your sins, unable to do anything to rectify your own sinful condition? We can try to save ourselves through good works and in all these different religious practices, but, but God is not one to be bribed. And all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in His sights. We have sinned against Him, we have violated His laws, and thus as the righteous judge, He must serve justice. And if we stand before Him, In our own strength, we will receive the guilty verdict rightly and justly for our actions. But God is rich in mercy. He loves you and He sent Jesus to pay your fine for you. Jesus voluntarily died for sinners and rose again from the dead so that all who trust in Him are given new life. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus came to demonstrate when he is proclaiming himself and declaring that he is almighty God in human flesh. This is why he came. If you have trusted in Christ for salvation, but we struggle with the various storms that we encounter in this life, it it can be an uncomfortable reality to face, but... There are times when God does lead us into the storms of this life and these storms serve to test us and our faith. And so we choose how we respond. Will we melt in fear? Will we accuse God of not caring? Will we run away? Or will we look past the storm and to the Savior, the one who has led you, the one who cares about you, the one who is able to sustain you and strengthen you, the one who is Almighty God 
who desires to purify you. Jesus has proven himself trustworthy time and time again. Even if the storm takes your life, will you trust him? The disciples stood in awe of Jesus. They saw so much and yet failed to fully understand. How will we respond? I pray that we will be a people of trust. I pray that we will be a people who see the nature and the character of God, who choose faith over fear, trust over accusation. No matter how fast life seems to spin, no matter how high we feel like we're being tossed, just as I am always right there for my children to catch them, Jesus is there for us. And you can hear him saying through his word, I've got you, it's okay, I'm here, I've been here the whole time. You can trust me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a trustworthy God. We thank you that though we encounter various difficulties within this life, you are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of us resting in you, worthy of our worship and our praise. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful followers of you, faithful disciples. I pray that even in the midst of life's difficulties, our storms, our trials, that we would look in faith to you and trust. May we be able to say, it is well with my soul. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.